Hey everyone, and welcome to the Been There, Do This podcast. In every episode, we will hear the stories of leaders who have found a way to integrate their passion into a better way to do business. I'm your host, Josh Joel, business and employment lawyer at Stanton Law. I'm so excited to introduce you to our Been There, Do This sponsor, Stanton Law. Since November 2011, Stanton Law has sought to serve, advise, and guide clients of all sizes in a practical and efficient way. Now in its second decade, Stanton Law continues to counsel individuals and companies on legal issues surrounding every scope of business. Whether you're an entrepreneur, small business owner, or the CEO of a major organization, if you are ready to take your company to the next level, let Stanton Law provide business solutions to minimize your legal problems by visiting stantonlawllc.com. That's stantonlawllc.com. On today's podcast, I have with me my friend, Tim Turner who is a founder of Satisfeed. Now, I wanted to bring Tim Turner on the program today because I have to say that Tim is one of the most inspiring entrepreneurs I know, and that's because his business is not the business of making money. His business is the business of doing loving kindness and feeding people. Tim is the founder of Satisfeed, which is an incredible organization that delivers hunger relief to families right here in the Atlanta area in Gwinnett County. So Tim, uh, you and I have known each other a little while, and you're one of the most passionate people I know you love what you do and you do what you love. And so I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about Satisfeed and the Satisfeed story. Thanks, Josh. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, to answer your questions and to really learn what I do, for whom, how and why. It didn't start out this way. Uh, it didn't start out uh, feeding 1,500 families in a month uh, every Saturday, averaging right at 300 families and 15, 16,000 pounds of food. In fact, when I graduated from Miami of Ohio a long time ago, I was looking forward to a, to a career of work, getting a paycheck, raising a family, and getting grand, grandkids and uh, just everything that goes along with living life as somebody that's living in the middle of America. So I worked for 40 years and then <laughs> uh, my mom died in March of 17 and on the, and she was up in Ohio living on her own. And I, uh, we were coming back from the funeral, my wife, my, my daughter and son and I, and I told him at that point, I'm done. I'm not going to work anymore. And so I went home, resigned, worked my two weeks, resigned on a Friday, and Monday morning, I started Satisfeed. So when you founded Satisfeed, mm -hmm. what was the immediate problem that you were trying to solve? It's two parts. First part is the United States is known as the breadbasket of the world, and it didn't make sense logically that there was hunger in the United States. It just, it, it frustrated me. And the second thing was the issue of food insecurity and food deserts right here in Atlanta. It, I had no concept. And so when I learned about the problem, I, just, I became smitten and it was like, and it became, Tim, what can you do to address this issue? And how did you learn about this problem? How did it come to your attention? 
All right. Great question. Back in 2001, uh, my uh, son, my sons were playing fall baseball in Dunwoody and one of their teammates, his dad was running uh, food co-ops down in the Summerhill community around Turner Field in downtown Atlanta, just south of Georgia State University. And his name is Chad. And I said, Chad, what are you talking about? And he proceeded to tell me about the fact that he was, he had created co-ops of 25 families. And at that, at that point, he was running 35 co-ops. And they were, what he was doing was he was building community, building relationship, and feeding people at the point of their need. And so I began a journey. I, I would go to Chad periodically to say, what's going on? Uh, what are you doing now? And I just kept asking questions. And finally, I got to the point where I, where I thought, I've got to do something about this. And so that's where it began. So just t- taking one step back, you mentioned earlier the concept of food insecurity and food deserts. Let's define some terms over here. What, what is a food desert? I got a great example for you. And you... <laughs> I was asked the question the other day, how many full-service grocery stores, how many Publix, Ingalls, Kroger are south of I-20 and north of I-285? 12? One. Hmm. And that one was in the process of being closed. Mm -hmm. So that is a perfect example of a food desert. The residents in the area don't have full service access to full service grocery stores. So they're forced to go to the corner market, go to the corner convenience store, or get on a bus, or use other forms of public transportation, or friends or relatives to get them transported to a full service grocery store that can meet their needs. Mm-hmm. And so, so and, and I guess that, that is what leads to the, what you call food insecurity. And so maybe you can define what, what does it mean to food insecurity? Well, food insecurity is, is the, the, the head of the family having to make a decision, do I pay my power bill or do I go to the grocery store to feed my family? Hmm. And at this moment... One in seven Americans is experiencing food insecurity. One in five children is experiencing food insecurity, according to Feeding America. Wow. So those are pretty astounding numbers. And I'm sure the listeners are probably as surprised to hear that as you were back in 2001 and as you've you've gone through this process of building Satisfeed. So how does Satisfeed address that problem? Initially, uh, I started with, with the food co-op model that Chad ha- taught me. Mm-hmm. And that, that model was, was based on me uh, sitting in the lobby of a building that provided me with space and waiting for people to walk in to say, I'm hungry and I need food. Mm. And at that point, I knew intuitively 
that they had got past themselves, they had got past their pride to say, I need help. And so what we did was we instituted a uh, two Saturdays a month food co-op. The people would, the, my guests would come in. They would help us unload the truck, uh, stock the shelves, clean the co-op, build the banana, banana boxes full of food. And then they would take the boxes uh, of food based on the size of the family. At that point, we were, we were distributing one banana box of food to a family of three. For a family of four to six, they were getting two, two boxes. And for a family of seven or more, they were receiving three boxes of food. It was about 60 pounds of food per box, two Saturdays a month. And what that was doing is it was helping them to stretch their food budget so that they knew that they had the food to feed their family so that they could then look at their electric bill, their gas bill, their water bill, and decide which one they were going to pay. So let's take a, a few steps backwards because I, you know, you've shared with me before the, the founding story of Satisfy, and to me, it just blows my mind. You know, you're describing unloading boxes, and we'll, we'll get a little bit more into how robust your operations are now, <laughs> literally feeding 1,300 or whatever the number was uh, every month people and the, the drive-throughs and all the things that you, you, you've instituted now, but it wasn't always that way. And so you, you hear about, you're at this baseball game and you hear about your friends, uh, you know, your friend's father has, ha, is passionate about this issue. I would love for you to share a little bit about, you know, what you've shared with me in terms of what you did about it those first days and what your dreams were or were not. Oh, wow. One Saturday in December of 2012, we visited a apartment complex in Duluth, Georgia. And that apartment complex was about 90, 90, 95% Hispanic. And in a driving rainstorm, we just, we, we distributed food boxes to every apartment complex. And some of those, some of those apartments were occupied by five, six, seven Hispanic adults who were in the construction trades. Mm -hmm. They, this is great. The apartment complex, two of the families in the apartment complex were, were, were cooking, they were cooking meals for the, for, the, uh, for the construction workers. So the construction workers would get up in the morning and go and pick up their lunchbox that had been freshly cooked. And then they would come home at night and pick up their dinner box. And so they were, they were creating a business for the ladies who were, providing the meals, hmm. right? Right in the complex. Then I instituted a, uh, a mobile food pantry. And so two Thursdays a month, I would drive to the west side of Atlanta with uh, a yellow rider truck and pick up uh, my food order and drive to uh, drive back to Duluth, drive back to the apartment complex and pull out the food, pull out the tables, pull out the chairs. And my guests would come down the hill with either their laundry basket or their banana boxes and proceed to walk through the tables, picking out the food that they wanted to put into their, into their baskets. Unfortunately, the, uh, the, the quality of the food began to uh, decline. Hmm. And at the end of six months, I, I had too many carbs and not enough protein. And so mm -hmm. I had to shut it down. Mm -hmm. 
Then in the, the summer of 14, we uh, mounted a brown bag summer lunch program and began the process of distributing summer lunch to children, school children within Gwinnett County. And that first summer of 14, we served uh, 5,000 brown bag lunches that consisted of a, a sandwich, a drink, a sweet and a savory snack. And we distributed five days a week and we distributed 5,000 brown bag lunches that summer. No, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, describing, obviously you, you saw a problem and you're coming up with all these different creative ways to deal with the issue, whatever the issue was in front of you. At what point did this become more than just, you know, figuring out what the immediate issue was and what was the turning point where it became this robust satisfied operation? Late summer, early fall of 2017, I learned of a uh, organization on the west side of, uh, on the west end of Atlanta called Plywood People. And they have uh, several different programs to help you dream and then implement the dream, to help you, help you to get it off of the paper and into operation. And I participated uh, in those programs, and that was the beginning of Satisfy. In the uh, spring of 18, an international marketing firm, marketing firm in downtown Atlanta put out a cattle call to ask for a summer intern project, a nonprofit summer intern project. And so I raised, <clears throat> I raised my hand. They interviewed me three times. And at the end, they said, yes, we want you to be our project. Hmm. And that was the beginning. That, that was the birth of Satisfy. Amazing. And so in 2017, you said that, that uh, the plywood people were there to help realize your dream. What was your dream? Feed people physically, financially, socially, emotionally, relationally, and physically. The ultimate dream was to build a community service center to meet those needs. And we started with food because I knew that uh, hunger interfere interferes with your healing. Hmm. And by distributing food reliably, not asking questions uh, other than your basic facts of who you are, gave me permission to then uh, provide other services. So that, that was the impetus for Satisfy. So this has moved well beyond food insecurity. Oh my gosh. The, the dream is much, much, much bigger. So when you raise your hand, uh, this marketing firm is looking, looking for a project for summer interns. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is an unfair question to ask you. Maybe I should ask them. But what do you think was it about you and your dream that made them so excited that they were wanting to work with you? I came back. What does that mean? That means I went to my first interview and I walked in <laughs> carrying uh, my banana box uh, with uh, brown bag lunches to, f to feed the people that were interviewing me. And... That was the first interview. And then I had the second interview, which was just as uh, intense for me because 
uh, it was no longer just the project manager, it was the, uh, the principal of the organization. And then the third, the, the third interview was really the wrap up and the, okay, Tim, tell us what you want, tell us what you want to do. And then we'll tell you how we can help. Wow. And so I would, I, I know that's a humble answer. I'm telling you right now, because I, I would, I think that what they probably saw in you was they, they saw the passion that you have behind that dream. And they saw that this, that, that this is a project that they can help with. And, you know, this is a podcast where, where I like to feature typically entrepreneurs and, and the messages that entrepreneurs need to hear when they build on their passions. Now your passion might be feeding people and feeding more than just the people, feeding them in so many different ways. But to recognize that if we are passionate about what we do and we care about what we do, that shines through and people will help us get there, especially when it's there to change the world. But let me ask you this. What did, how did they help you communicate that passion and, and what did they actually do to bring Satisfy to the next level? This is my sweet spot. <laughs> uh, I knew that. I thought that this summer intern project was, was going to be interns, maybe spending 10 hours a week helping me to refine and to discover who I am and, and what it is that Satisfeed does. But at that moment, I didn't have Satisfeed. I had my corporate name, which was JN, which is JN2117, Feed My Sheep Incorporated. <laughs> I had four lady interns. I had the project manager was a journalism major at the University of Georgia. The user experience uh, gal was a, um, a graduate in African-American studies from Georgia State. My graphic designer was a graduate of SCAD. And my, my wordsmith was an, is an English major at Emory University. I, they worked on my project, all four, 40 hours a week for 10 weeks. Wow. The wordsmith created Satisfied. She, she gave me a list of names that the team had, had come up with and asked me to select the one. And I selected Satisfied. The graphic designer created the logo, which I, I have named Fred. <laughs> Fred, is, Fred is the smiley face, but Fred is an acronym. Fred stands for families, relatives, the elderly, and the dist, whether they're disabled, disenfranchised, whatever dis they're experiencing. Hmm. So then about two thirds of the way through the summer, I asked the girls if they wanted to go see Chad's operation. And they said, yeah. So I took them on a field trip to downtown Atlanta. And we, uh, we went in, it's in the basement of a church and about 10 minutes into it, they looked at me and said, can we put on gloves and help? And I knew, I knew at that moment that I had them and that they understood, they grasped what I was trying to do. 
because being able to experience the power of giving probably led them to to be able to really choose to to really invest in in you and it's just amazing i mean tim i listen to you every time i hear your story and i hear this stuff it just inspires me and the creativity that you have it just blows my mind by the way i, I see you're drinking out of a fred cup right there yeah um, yep. that's beautiful unfortunately the guests the listeners can't see the fred cup but go to satisfeed as a satisfeed.org or satisfeed which you can see fred over there it's a fantastic logo so um but what was the immediate effect of this it sounds like this was a seminal moment a, a, a god moment where where things suddenly changed from Tim Turner trying to help uh people through his nonprofit organization to Satisfied and these four interns helped you realize that goal and re- realize that mission what was the immediate effect and what happened uh, after they got involved and and decided to invest in your project it gave me a platform i was no longer a, this long-winded corporation <laughs> i was i was an entity that my guests and my supporters could see they could wrap their hands around i also learned that by inviting my guests inviting my supporters to a show and tell if you will to actually come on campus and see what we do i knew that they would come back yeah and it's it's worked exactly like that uh in fact Later in the fall of uh, 2018, I invited uh, Trustegrity to come out to the campus. And I had, I had six folks come out. And they helped to unload the truck, stock the shelves, and then I fed them lunch. I fed them brown bag lunches. Mm. And it, 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 it was just remarkable to me to see the light bulbs turn on. Unbelievable. And so Trustegrity, by the way, as listeners, that's actually how Tim and I know each other. It's a uh, mastermind networking group that he and our, I together are in. And uh, every time he shows up, he never fails to, <laughs> to inspire me. Um, and so, you know, it sounds like the lesson over here to me when I'm think- hearing your story and thinking about the business owners out there, whether, again, they're in the nonprofit or the for-profit space, is that being able to hone in on why it is I do what I do and to be able to allow people to experience the passion and the emotional energy that is behind what you do creates a, a environment where they will be invested in you and are willing to give. And people, if people are invested in you, they will be loyal to you. If they're invested in what you're doing, it probably is somewhat easier when you're dealing with such a, a project that most people don't even know uh, that the problem uh, right. out there. And, and when they be, when they become aware of the problem, and you address that problem and are able to find a way to succinctly communicate that in a clever and creative way to bring people in, they get sucked in and invested in your in your dream, which is exactly it sounds like what happened with these four interns that worked with you, and now they've created this incredible organization called Satisfeed. Let me ask you the following, as you're growing and as you're scaling this, this organization and, and the passions, and it's all very exciting, and what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced, or what was the biggest challenge that you faced along the way? The biggest challenge initially was finding the food. Hmm. The challenge now is the financial sustenance, uh, the financial support. I'll tell it to you in this way. I love for people to give me food. 
the irony is if they go to the grocery and buy $25 worth of canned goods to donate canned and dry goods, um, there's a very good chance that that may, that may be enough to create two meals, maybe three. But if they give me that same $25 in cash, then I'm able to generate 100 meals with that same $25. How? How do you do that? I work with the Atlanta Community Food Bank. Mm -hmm. I work with uh, organizations like Amazon, Walmart, and a, a, a couple of food distributors. And by gathering those donations uh, and, and, and them giving me the food, Sometimes it, it allows me to stretch my dollars and to feed more people. So, so your food is sourced. Maybe describe a little bit where you source your food. It's not, this is not a situation where people are putting tin cans in a bucket and you're taking and handing it out. This is much more robust and much more of a logistics operation than most people uh, probably imagine. So maybe just describe a little bit of how you created that those logistics where you're able to get higher quality food for for a lesser amount and really boost the the issue of of healthy eating and food in the food insecurity. It's not just about a charity cause. It's about really bringing people high quality food. So how did you do that? How did you create those partnerships? Where do you get your food? Uh, the partnerships uh, were started because Chad, my mentor, uh, instructed me that the Atlanta Community Food Bank should be my primary source of food. Hmm. And the Atlanta Community Food Bank sources food from all over the United States, sometimes uh, beyond the United States, uh, to bring it in to their uh, state-of-the-art uh, warehouse down by the airport. And then they have a, a menu, online menu, that allows us to select the items that we want based on their availability. And then they load them on the pallets. Pallets go on their 53-foot truck. And then the truck brings them out to us. Hmm. And then we, on the other end, uh, because of uh, organizations like Scott Hudgens Family Foundation, Community Foundation Northeast Georgia, and the CARES Act, we were able to acquire the assets th that allow us to distribute more efficiently and more effectively. Uh, those assets include three 40-foot refrigerated containers, a 40-foot dry container, 26-foot refrigerated truck, and a 16-foot refrigerated truck, and uh, uh, two forklifts. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's just, it just blows my mind. And you, you mentioned also the private industry. You talked about the Atlanta Community Food Bank. How do you partner with, with uh, companies like Amazon, Walmart? Uh, what do those partnerships look like? And how did you develop those? I was referred to Amazon by the Atlanta Community Food Bank. And the Atlanta Community Food Bank, as well as the Gwinnett Coalition, because Amazon had made it known to those organizations that they were looking for nonprofit organizations to pick up food that was about to expire. Mm -hmm. uh, it, was, it was about to go out of date. And so we began that relationship of dispatching a truck once a week uh, to their warehouse. And this is a, this is a commissary, Josh. 
uh, a commissary. So it has walk-in freezer, refrigerator, and dry goods area. And so when you walk in, there are, there are containers full of food that's about to expire that you're able to pick up to then distribute from your organization. It's amazing. And, and if not for you, I would imagine a lot of that would probably go to waste and, uh, right. and, and not be, not be, and for no reason at all, except there's just no one to fill the role that you fill, which is to take that and to do good with it and to, and to find those partnerships. You mentioned a key word in everything you just said, your last couple of comments, which is relationships. Mm-hmm. I know that relationships are a, a huge part of what has made you successful in the work that you do. How have your relationships and how have you built relationships and how have relationships impacted the business of doing good as you've grown in scale? Three key adjectives, seen, known, and loved. Hmm. That drives me because as I said earlier, the longest walk for any of my guests was the walk down my sidewalk, open the door to say, I need help. And my ability, our organization's ability to see you, to know you, and to love you in the best way we know how, it, it tears down barriers. And it allows us to meet the need, oftentimes unspoken needs. Josh, I had one Saturday morning uh, late last year. Uh, I, I usually get on campus at 6 o'clock in the morning uh, to prepare to distribute it at, at 9. And so I was on, I was on campus and the... Landscape guys were doing their doing their work, blowing the driveway, the the, the parking lot, clear, clearing the parking lot, cutting the grass. And one one of the one of the guys comes up to me and says, "Are you a pastor?" And I said, "No, uh, I I run the the food pantry." And he said, "Well, you know my brother, right?" And I said, "Yeah, he he comes here every two weeks and and, and does his work." but I haven't seen him in a while. And he said, yeah, he died of COVID. He was in the hospital for a month. Hmm. And he said, and he, meaning his, this guy is his brother. He said, would you pray for me? <laughs> hmm. Josh. I, yes. I prayed for him. Two hours later, I had a car come through the line and I sensed because I greet everybody. I mean, that I have to greet the people. It was mom, grandmother, and daughter. And I sensed, I just sensed something was, was amiss. What's going on? Her daddy had just died and they had just come from the hospital. Hmm. That's, that's relationship. That's seen, known, and loved. And if, if that's all I'm able to do, then my tank is full. Unbelievable. 
And so seeing, known, and loved, and, and, and it ties into what you mentioned before, which is that you start with food, mm-hmm. but it's much more than that. And being able to recognize that, that, it, that, it, that it is a much bigger picture than just feeding the hungry, it's feeding their souls. Uh, and that's, and that's the business that you're in. And it's just so, it's so moving and, and so inspiring. You, you, Tim are just, you're full of love and full of energy. How do you keep it up? Practically I do. Impractically I don't. <laughs> I, I start gearing up for my, for Saturday distribution at about six o'clock on Friday night. And I get home from distribution Anywhere between one or two o'clock in the afternoon on sat on Saturday afternoon, and I have to take a nap. I'm exhausted. Yes, I'm an adult. <laughs> Sorry. And then I then uh, because I serve at the church on Sundays, I then gear up to serve on Sundays. So the, by the time I get home on Sunday afternoons, it's ha. I need I need I need a nap or I need to rest. I need to gear down. And so that's really the extent of my self-care. And Josh, I I can't say it enough. I'm not doing enough in the area of self-care to sustain what what I'm currently doing. You know, it's, it, I love that, that vulnerability and reality because you hear a lot in, out there that when a person is in a, and, and it might be true, but when we're giving and giving and giving, that should fill us. We also have to recognize that in order to give, we also have to be able to have, you have the cup has to overflow and we have to be able to focus on ourselves. And that's, that's whether it's in the workplace or whether it's uh, at home. We also have to recognize and be self-aware enough to realize that, yes, it's good to give, but we also have to, and it's good to, to have the incredible ambition and the energy and the, and the unbelievable things that you accomplish, but also to be able to take a step back and recognize we also have to take care of ourselves. And that's, and that's something that a lot of ambitious people like you and passionate people like you sometimes forget, and myself included, all of us. And I think it's just incredible. Let me ask you the following and, and forgive me if this is an unfair question, but I find that sometimes folks who have the level of passion, and maybe this ties into what we were just talking about, and that, that sense of mission that a person like you have, at least the challenges in terms of our, that we get emotionally invested, especially when you're dealing with the folks that you deal with who have, this, have, have problems and you're dealing with their problems every day. How do you deal with separating out the professional from the emotional and being able to deal with the fact that sometimes our passions do intertwine with our, our, our personal lives and taking care of your own emotional well-being and your own self to make sure that you have what to give? I don't do a very good job of it. <laughs> and I, I use the word job intentionally because the work of your passion is one job, but the work of your personal care is equally as important a job. Hmm. I admire you because you took your passion for cycling and used it as a motivator to raise funds for a cause that's near and dear to you. 
So you were able to self-care simultaneously operating in your passion. Hmm. That for me, that that that's the perfect that's the perfect blend. <laughs> well, I, I I appreciate that, and it's funny you mention it because for those who don't know, I did a, a major cycling ride this past summer, 108 miles, to raise money for a charity that's near and dear to my heart. And I'm gearing up right now to do it again, and I'm actually feeling unmotivated uh, about that. And so to hear you frame it in that in that respect certainly gets me back into the frame of mind that I got to get myself on that bike again and get myself fundraising again, because it really makes a difference, uh, to, to the, uh, the kids that benefit from the charity that I serve. So, so, and I, and I just love that your realness and your, and your genuineness. Let me ask you today, March, 2022, it's March already. What is the biggest challenge that Satisfeed faces today? Finding a new home. We are homeless. What does that mean? That means the facility we were operating out of has been sold. And we have to be vacated by the sixth of uh, the sixth of April, and oh, wow. we don't know where we're going. We don't have we don't have a new home picked out yet. That's a well. I, certainly, I hope that if anybody's listening and can provide help to this incredible organization, please please do. I want to ask you um, before we get to the closing and some of some final comments. The listeners of this podcast are business owners entrepreneurs, a lot of people who are starting up their businesses, again, maybe they're not feeding the hungry and, and doing something as incredibly ambitious as you are. But whether someone's in a profit or a nonprofit, looking at, at your success and looking at what you've done here and the partnerships you've created, what would be your message to other people, whatever their passion might be, whether it's making money, whether it's helping people, if they have some sort of something in their lives that they're passionate about and they want to drive it into doing better kind of way of business, what would you tell them? What would be your message? I would tell them to go mad. Go mad. Yeah. Mad is an acronym. Uh, of course. Can... I know you. <laughs> <laughs> mad means make a difference. Profit is not bad. Making money is not bad. But the important thing is to look beyond the bank account, look into your employees, look into your friends, your colleagues, your contacts, your, your, uh, your vendors and see, and, and take a moment to imagine what you could do to make a difference for one of them. Um, when, when you take the time to look beyond yourself, it's immediately, immediately apparent as to what you can do. Amazing. Now let me ask you this. Similar question, but if you were, this is the been there, do this podcast. So Tim, you've been there and you've struggled through this and, and hopefully continued success and fulfilling your dreams and ambitions going forward. But if you were to turn around to Tim Turner five years ago or 10 years ago, what would you tell him and what advice would you give him to do? 
do it now. Not, not the Nike, just do it. Do it now. Because 10 years ago, 2012, was when we distributed the food boxes at the apartment complex. And if I, if I had taken the time to look inside and realize why was I so adamant? Why was I so motivated? What was it? Do some self-realization and then get on that path. Josh, I'm old <laughs> and not at heart. When I, <laughs> when I look back on my 40 years of work, I realized, well, first of all, when I retired, I didn't get the gold watch. I didn't get the celebration. What I did was I went home for the weekend and then I refired. Yeah. Because it was at that time, it was at that moment that I realized what I must do. I, I didn't should myself. I simply realized this is what I must do. And then I took the steps. Wow. So to our listeners out there who are hearing your story and maybe learning of the first time of the concept of a food desert and food insecurity in the United States today, and who are as inspired as I am by what you've done and what you've accomplished, how can they get involved in dealing with the issue of food insecurity in America today? The uh, first thing is to, to learn that the problem exists. And you don't have to go any further than uh, your school system, your local school, school system, to see and understand where the food insecurity exists. Josh, my, my, the largest volume of volunteers that I had during the first year of the pandemic, during from March of 20 to March of 21, were teachers, parents, PTA, faculty, staff, and students of the local schools. They were superheroes for me. And I couldn't, I could not have done it without them. And likewise, our willingness to serve their families was a godsend for them. So start with the schools. Amazing. And if our listeners would like to get involved with Satisfeed, whether monetarily, volunteer-wise, or just get in touch with you and follow you as you grow, what is the best way for folks to reach out and connect to Satisfeed? Thanks. Uh, our website is uh, Satisfeed. And believe me, spell check will want you to spell it satisfied, <laughs> but it's Satisfeed. S-A-T-I-S-F as in Frank, E-E-D as in David, dot O-R-G. It should be F as in Fred, by the way. F as in Fred. <laughs> okay. you, know, you know what? I will. I, I will remember <laughs> that. That's great. Thank you. We are on Facebook as Satisfied Gwinnett. We are on Instagram as Satisfied Gwinnett. Uh, I am on LinkedIn 
as Tim Turner. And if you know of families who are struggling with food and food insecurity, there are two sources. One is called foodfinder.us. And the other one is the Atlanta Community Food Bank. And they are, you can text the term find food to 888-976-2232. Or if it's, if it's Spanish, then it would be comida, which is C-O-M-I-D-A to 888-976-2232. Well, thank you, Tim. And we're going to drop all of those links in the show notes. So if anybody's listening and wants to get involved or wants to help others in any way, shape, or form, take a look at the show notes and follow those links, support Tim, support what he's doing. I have to say, Tim, consistent with your mission, thank God, you know, I have a great job and I've got a great life and I don't suffer from food insecurity. But what you have done this morning is you've nourished my soul and you've given food to my soul because to hear this and to hear the the inspiration that you have to address this issue and the fact that you've been able to just grab it and make such a difference in the community around you is so inspiring to me. And I hope it's inspiring to the listeners of the podcast. And I can't express my appreciation more for you to come on and share your mission, your vision, and your inspiration with us. And I'll just throw it out. Do you have any final words uh, before we go? Feed hungry people. In more ways than one. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you for being here. And I really, really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Been There, Do This podcast. I'm your host, Josh Joel. If you'd like to reach out to me, check out www.joshjoel.com and be sure to follow me on LinkedIn. If you think this is as important as we do, please be sure to share this episode with your friends and leave us a great review wherever you listen to your podcasts. As always, we thank you for your support and look forward to seeing you next time.